My name is Erin Hall, and I'm the youth and preteen pastor at Vineyard Springbrook, and this is our scripture reading from today. It comes from Isaiah 35, 1 through 10. Even the wilderness and desert will be glad in those days. The wasteland will rejoice and blossom with spring crocuses. Yes, there will be an abundance of flowers and singing and joy. The deserts will become as green as the mountains of Lebanon, as lovely as Mount Carmel or the plain, plain of Sharon. There, the Lord will display His glory, the splendor of our God. With this news, strengthen those who have tired hands and encourage those who have weak knees. Say to those with fearful hearts, Be strong and do not fear, for your God is coming to destroy your enemies. He is coming to save you. And when He comes, He will open the eyes of the blind and unplug the ears of the deaf. The lame will leap like a deer, and those who cannot speak will sing for joy. Springs will gush forth in the wilderness, and streams will water the wasteland. The parched ground will become a pool, and springs of water will satisfy the thirsty land. Marsh grass and reeds and rushes will flourish where desert jackals once lived. And a great road will go through that once deserted land. It will be named the Highway of Holiness. Evil-minded people will never travel on it. It will be only for those who walk in God's ways. Fools will never walk there. Lions will not lurk along its course, nor any ferocious beasts. There will be no other dangers. Only the redeemed will walk on it. Those who have been ransomed by the Lord will return. They will enter Jerusalem singing, crowned with everlasting joy. Sorrow and mourning will disappear, and they will be filled with joy and gladness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hello, I am Lindsay. I am the pastor at Vineyard Springbrook, and I'm glad to be with you. Um, I'm really excited about what we're talking about today. We have a lot of ground to cover, though, so I'm going to kind of jump right in. Um, but as I jump right in, I do want to do a little bit of a recap of where we were last week. This one um, super builds on the last one. Uh, so if you didn't catch that, it's available on our Vimeo or our podcast or uh, wherever you find us and our digital things. Um, and so here's what we talked about uh, last week. Uh, it, it, we've been talking about something I think is really, really important. Um, as a follower of Jesus, or maybe just as someone like uh, curious about or confused by Jesus. Um, if you weren't here, what we did is we took a couple of really big steps back and we looked at a, a wide view of the scriptures, a, a wide view of the Bible, of the story that they tell from beginning to end, from Genesis uh, all the way to Revelation. Uh, the Bible as a big whole uh, tells four parts, uh, a four-part story or a four-chapter story. It tells the story of creation, fall, redemption, and renewal. This is the story it's always telling. Creation, fall, redemption, renewal. Creation that God made everything and that he said it was good and, and that he asked us to join in that creation, um, to, to be part of the cultivation of, of the flourishing of things. Uh, fall, that sin enters the world through Adam and Eve and shatters the shalom or, or the perfect peace and communion um, and connection uh, with God and with creation. Uh, redemption, that, that God makes a way where there was no way for us, uh, offering salvation to all through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Uh, and then renewal. We talked about renewal, the, the active and imminent work of the kingdom of God to renew all things. Uh, theologians call this a four-part gospel or a four-chapter gospel, creation, fall, redemption, 
renewal. Uh, and we talked about how this was the story told of the church for 1800 years, but then like 200 years or so ago, uh, the big four-part story uh, got a more narrow view or, or a smaller part of the story got a wider part of uh, the audience or the telling. Um, we talked about how the evangelical church uh, by and large has ended up telling a great story about fall and redemption, um, but less about things like creation and renewal. Uh, it isn't that the evangelical church denies creation and renewal. It's just that the church has given them a backseat in, in, in the telling of things. And, and that, uh, this kind of two-part story, uh, uh, two parts of the story taking a backseat, has resulted in the church offering the world a really good story about sin and salvation, but a less compelling story about things like beauty and work and culture. For the last 200 years, we've done a really good job offering explanations um, for, again, sin and salvation, fall and redemption, uh, but we've not done a very good job offering explanations uh, for beauty, art, music, life, ethics, creativity, human flourishing here and now on the earth. Uh, I said this last week, and, and I stand by it still today. Um, telling half of the story has caused us to have a pretty unbiblical picture of where God is taking the world. Uh, with creation and renewal riding in the back seat, uh, a big part of Christian culture has adopted what uh, theologian N.T. Wright calls pie-in-the-sky escapism. Uh, a view of the world where um, we as Christians get sucked out and the whole thing gets blown up in the end, um, which, by the way, is not the story that the scriptures tell. Uh, at Springbrook in the fall, I, I preached on the rapture. I know Aaron's done it at Maryville, and um, so there you can have access if you want to hear about that. We don't have time to get into all of it now, um, but we'll sum it down to say that's not the story that the scriptures tell. Um, there's a Dutch theologian named Herman Bavink, and he says that when we don't tell the whole story, when we don't look at all four pieces of the story, then we get the impression that nothing about this world matters. When all we have is fallen redemption, then it seems like there's not much about this world that matters when we don't have creation and renewal. But the Bible, uh, Jesus, they, they don't tell that story. Uh, rather, Jesus and the Bible, they tell the story of uh, creation, of honor, of dignity, about a, a story of much of this world mattering. We were not created or redeemed in order to escape the earth, but instead to cultivate it to care for it, to join God in the renewal of it. Uh, the Bible, it doesn't tell the story of God blowing up the earth. Rather, it tells the story of the God who made the earth and who is renewing it. Uh, he is filling it with new joy, new purpose, and great delight. Uh, it's our scripture for today that Aaron read for us um, of, of sadness and mourning, mourning disappearing and joy and delight being restored. Heaven is so unbelievably important, but it isn't the end of the story. A renewed earth is the end of the story. And we kind of miss that when we only tell half of it. Uh, so here's what I want to do today. I want to talk about uh, how this uh, vision of a bigger story impacts us um, in our everyday lives. And so in order to do that, uh, we're going to look at uh, two places in the Bible, two mandates in the Bible or commissions. We don't really like being uh, forced into something like the word mandate. So the word commission and Jesus is never forcing anyone to do anything. He's always inviting people uh, in to do things. But these are two really big and official invitations 
invitations or commissions by God to his people. Um, And they aren't just big, they're really exciting. They're really exciting. Uh, When the four-chapter gospel gets narrowed down to a two-part gospel, uh, the invitations or commissions of God to his people, they also get narrowed down. And I, I truly don't mean this to be offensive, but they get kind of boring Um, an invitation to spend the rest of my life trying to keep my nose clean until I get to heaven, that just isn't that exciting. And honestly, I'm terrible at it. And so, I I don't know, I need more. Uh, I think a lot of us, we may have a hunch that life with Jesus may be about something more than just not messing up and waiting on heaven. Uh, I've told this story a bunch. Um, If you've been around the vineyard very long, you, you may have heard it before, but I love it. So don't stop me. Um, But uh, the founder of the Association of Vineyard Churches or the Vineyard Movement, this may be news to some of you that uh, Maryville and Springbrook aren't the only vineyards. The vineyard is part of an association of churches, thousands of churches all over the world. Um, But the, the guy who began our movement is a man named John Wimber. And John Wimber was a member of the Righteous Brothers, like the band, the Righteous Brothers. And he was um, living, doing like a residency in Vegas, like literally living a life of sex, drugs, and rock and roll uh, when he met Jesus. And so he like has this radical transformation. He leaves Vegas. He he, um, goes back to California and he starts attending a church and he's reading the Bible and he's trying to learn every single thing he can learn about Jesus. And and he tells the story that at some point he goes to his pastor after reading through all the gospels and he he's talking through some stuff with his pastor and he looks at him and he's like, when do we get to do the stuff? And the pastor's like, what? And he was like, the stuff, like, when do we get to do the stuff? And he was like, what stuff? And he's like, the stuff Jesus did, like the healing the sick and the casting out devils and the, you know, the what we're calling renewing all things. When do we get to do uh, the stuff? And the pastor looked at him and he was like, oh, we don't do the stuff. And John Wimber said he was livid. Like he was just so just down, like so frustrated. And he has this quote that I love. He said, I learned very quickly that we read about it. We prayed about it. We sang about it. We cried about it, but we never actually did it. And then my favorite part of his quote is he says, when I worked for the devil, he let me do all of his stuff. Uh, so the vineyard uh, as a whole through John Wimber's influence started using this term, doing the stuff, uh, to describe the invitation of Jesus here and now to be part of what uh, he has always been up to, what the Father has always been up to since the very beginning. Uh, so here we go, two invitations. Uh, The first invitation of God takes place at the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis. Um, What we as followers of Jesus believe was the beginning of humanity, the beginning of the earth. Um, In the beginning, God creates the world and he creates everything in the world. Uh, Robert Capon says, who's a wild theologian that I love, Robert Capon, he says, uh, the world begins with a theology of delight, a theology of delight. He says it begins with a creator God who went around muttering good, good at the end of every workday. So it's out of this theology of delight that God creates people, Adam and Eve. And in the first moments of humanity, God offers a commission, a distinct invitation just to humans. Uh, In Genesis 2.15, it says, God says, watch over and cultivate the earth. Or in the message version by Eugene Peterson, work the ground and keep it in order. Work the ground and keep it in order. Theologians, they call this the creation mandate or the cultural mandate. God offers the work of cultivation, of creation to the one he created in his own image. 
Work the ground and cultivate it. Get your hands in the dirt, into the stuff, and bring into order. Bring it into order however you can. The cultural mandate, it's an invitation or a commission of God from the beginning of humanity to join God in the work of creation. Join the creator God in the work of creation. Um, this invitation is one of the reasons it's so important that we know the beginning of the story, that our story doesn't begin with sin, that our story begins with creation and invitation, creation and purpose, creation and identity. Before there is sin or darkness or a great fall uh, in God's first plan, his original order and design, there is an empowering for all of humanity. Work the ground and bring order to it. Keep order in it. And empowering uh, to cultivate and to tend and to grow and to create as image bearers of the creator. The God who made something out of nothing empowers us to make some things out of something. The beginning matters because it speaks value and calling and purpose into how we live and how we work and how we make things. Uh, around here, uh, at Springbrook in particular, we say uh, a lot that we are created on purpose for purpose. We believe that God created us on purpose, that you weren't an accident or an oversight. Uh, like the first man and the first woman, we believe that God uh, created you, that he um, wove you together with his hands, that he on purpose placed you into this earth to join him for purpose, to join him in the work he's doing, creating, cultivating, tending uh, the earth. But... Creation isn't the whole story. There's four parts to it. And uh, something happened. We said last week that very shortly after this creation and commissioning uh, between God and man came the fall. Uh, when sin entered the world, when the two created image bearers walked outside of their commission and into a new kind of darkness. Sin enters the story and I, I don't always use the word sin because I think it's been hijacked into, I think our minds go uh, really quickly to like a list of do's and don'ts or right things or wrong things. Sin, um, it's bigger than just a list of right or wrong things. That's part of it. That's not all of it. Sin entering the story means that entropy enters the story. Are you familiar with this word, entropy? Uh, my friend Joe Robinette uh, reminded me of this word last week. Entropy is the scientific term um, for essentially a thing's capacity to decline or to decay. The exact definition, if you Google the word entropy, the exact definition says entropy describes the gradual decline into disorder. That's what happens when sin enters into the world. Entropy, it is the literal process out of order. Sin entering the world meant, uh, as we said last week, disorder on a human and personal level, but also wider than that, on a communal level, on a cosmic level. With the fall came the capacity for death, decline, and disorder in everything. And this is why redemption and renewal are so unbelievably important chapters or parts of the story because the God who created all things for flourishing was not content to leave uh, the creation that he called good in the hands of death or in the hands of decline or in the hands of disorder. The cultural mandate grows through redemption and renewal, not just a commission of keeping order, but a commission of bringing and restoring order. 
I said there were two commissions. Uh, The second commission or invitation from God to his people comes at the end of Jesus's life. Uh, Right as Jesus is returning to heaven, he uh, spends his life, Jesus, he spends his life doing and fulfilling the original commission of God. He spends his whole life uh, working the ground and bringing order. He dedicates his whole life to the work of his hands and the work of his words to bring flourishing and order into the entropy of the world. Uh, From his first breath to his last breath, uh, in his resurrection and in his ascension, Jesus creates and cultivates and rescues and tends with mercy and grace and hope and renewal. Jesus, he exists to bring redemption and renewal into the story. Uh, 2 Corinthians tells us that uh, God made him, God made Jesus who knew no sin, Jesus who knew no darkness, who knew no entropy, to actually become it, to become the the darkness, to become entropy, that we might take on Jesus's righteousness, Jesus's order. Through the cross, Jesus brings redemption, and through the resurrection, he makes way for the work of renewal in the world. Uh, In Acts chapter 1, we have the last words of Jesus. Theologians call this the Great Commission. Uh, Acts 1.8 says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, through Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. A second invitation, a second commission, empowered by the Holy Spirit and reminiscent of the first one, of that cultural mandate, that cultural commission. The Great Commission and the cultural mandate uh, from Genesis, uh, the cultural mandate from Genesis is reinstated in Jesus through the Great Commission. They're tied together. They're bound together. They are essentially part of the same goal, part of the same commissioning. It is Jesus reminding all of his followers that we are still called to cultivate, that we are still called into order, to bring order into the world, to create, to reshape the materials of this world, to point to the coming of the next, to the glory of the King. The second commission of Jesus is a reminder that we have been tasked to do the stuff. We've been tasked with the care and the cultivation of the people and the things of this world now in a very Christian way, a gospel way, a kingdom way, uh, with the eyes of redemption and the eyes of renewal. Uh, John Mark Comer says, when we have been tasked that, that we have been tasked and empowered as modern day Adams and Eves, but with a dual calling that we have been tasked to fill the world, to work its ground, to bring order, and to go and tell the story everywhere, to bring along and invite everyone we can out of entropy and into renewal. Uh, So let's talk practically in our last few minutes. Uh, What does this mean for us? How do we live out this dual calling as modern day Adams and Eves? Um, I think a couple things. Uh, First, I think that part of this commission is uh, that Jesus 100% means that we should, as his followers, go out into the world and with our actual words, tell his precious people the great story of how we were made on purpose, for purpose, of how Jesus has brought light into the darkness of our lives or renewal into the the decline or the disorder of our lives, that he is the great hope of the world, that the God who made us, who loves us, is chasing after us and is relentless in that pursuit of us. Using our words to tell the story is absolutely part of this dual calling, this great commissioning of God. 
But I also believe uh, that part of this commissioning also means using our actual lives to live out uh, what we've been invited into, to holistically, as in our whole lives, our whole being, our uh, hands, our work, all of us, our money, our brains, our laughter, our play, our, our, our songs, our dreams, our food, our jobs, to use all of the ways that we live in a holistic way to tell the great story, to, to tell of the glory of God. Uh, part of our commission and invitation means using uh, our eyes to see both beauty and empathy. Um, it means using our minds to generate the vision and creativity to see how we might bring order into the entropy all over the world, the people, the places, the things. It means using our actual bodies to help bring out beauty and order and renewal that God has given us vision for. Joining God in the renewal of all things means cultivating inside of us and outside of us a culture of work and formation and creativity and hope and delight. It means learning how to both live in the world as it really is, but having uh, the vision and empowering to bring about what could be. Uh, it, it's what so many, I, I was thinking of examples of, in our church of people who are doing this in their everyday lives. People like Kurt Stokes and the Ketrins and Nick Voiles and uh, that this is what they do when they remodel houses. They see what could be in a place of entropy. It's what uh, David Hawkins and Brad Hitch do with a guitar. Like I see a guitar and I think it's beautiful. They see a guitar and they, could, they see what could come out of it. Uh, my friend Micah does this with food and wine. He sees a plate or a glass for what it could be filled with, filled up with. Um, this is what my friend Cody Hammontree does with wood. Like I see wood at Home Depot and it's just wood, but, but Cody sees wood and he sees something that could be bent and molded and formed into a new thing of beauty, a thing of support. It's what so many of you do. We have so many teachers in our churches. What so many of you do with students, you bring order to the disorder in the minds and the hearts of kids everywhere. We tell the story of God and people in all, when we tell the story of God and people in all of its fullness, it means that our story uh, begins and ends with purpose and with value and with dignity uh, because we do not just exist on this earth to bide our time until we get to heaven. Uh, you have been commissioned and empowered to learn what it means for you to do the stuff, what it means for you in your life and in your context to follow the invitation of God uh, to cultivate the world, to restore order to its people and its places, to, through your life and your words, tell the story of the God who puts all things back together. Uh, how we live it matters when we tell the whole story. It matters. It, it can't save us. How we live isn't what saves us. It's not salvation. It's purpose. We don't live well to earn a right place with God. We live well because we have been restored and set free and empowered for wonderful things, invited to do stuff we never knew we were capable of. We live well because we have been invited into a wild and exciting story. And because of that, as we draw near to Jesus, we start to become people who, empowered by the Holy Spirit, take our commission seriously. We start to see ourselves as part of the crew, part of the vision, uh, part of the work. 
Here's an example I have um, used before, but um, I think that when God tells Adam to cultivate the world, one of the things he's talking about is like the actual world, like the actual earth. Part of our empowering and commissioning to uh, cultivate the earth means to cultivate the actual earth. If a renewed earth is the end of the story, then maybe living out of our commission means that uh, the care of the earth is our job, not someone else's. Like it's not just the job of the Democrats and the vegetarians. It's the job of all of us. If you're with us and you're a Democrat vegetarian, welcome. And we have a lot to learn from you. Uh, It's all of our jobs. Uh, Being commissioned by a creative creator, God, means that we have eyes to see um, not just the entropy in the world around us, uh, but not just how it's out of order, but also having eyes to see that we have been empowered to the reorder of it, to the restoration of it, to the renewal of it. Whose job is it to care about the environment? According to the, the commissions of God, it's our job. Whose job is it to care for the oppressed and the outcast? It's our job. Whose job is it to care for the underserved, the uninsured, the unborn, the underprivileged? It's us. Whose job is it to care for, um, to create beautiful art and music and literature that tells a big story that points to the beauty beyond the beauty? It's our job. We won't all agree on how to do this, on how to engage and bring order into all that's broken in the world. We won't agree on it, but that isn't an excuse to bow out. We don't get to bow out and stare at our belly buttons and hope uh, that someone else will figure it out, hope that uh, the government will fix it or the schools will fix it or the activists will fix it or the preachers will fix it, that someone will fix it until Jesus returns. Instead, it means... Being commissioned means that as Jesus followers, we ask God for the wisdom and courage and kindness to lean in and learn how to do the stuff where we are, to how to live out what we've been invited to. So how do we start? Where do we do it? Uh, How do we do the stuff in our day-to-day lives? Um, I I love this. Frederick Buechner has a quote where he says, if you're trying to figure out your calling, if you're trying to figure out what you're made for, he says that um, our calling meets where our great joy and the deep hunger of the world intersect. It's in this intersection, in this spot. That's a great place to start. Um, Sometimes we get overwhelmed. Here's the thing. When it comes to kingdom work, we can't do everything. One person can't do everything. But uh, the power of the kingdom and the invitation of the God who reigns over it means that we have been invited and empowered to bring order to something or some things to that intersection. Uh, Mother Teresa has another answer about where to start that I love. Uh, Essentially, someone asked her, how did you start caring for the sick? And she said, I started caring for the one nearest to me. I love that. It's so wise. I started caring for the nearest one. Uh, Living out your commission of flourishing in people and places nearest to you makes a lot of sense. Where do you spend the most time? Your house, your work, your school? We can do this stuff in the places we are. You can do this stuff at Denso and at restaurants and hospitals and office buildings in your car. That's the beautiful thing. It can be done anywhere. It's a mandate for the entire kingdom. Eugene Peterson uh, calls it your square mile of concrete. Essentially, it's the idea that you would stand wherever you are and you would do a circle and everything you can see, that's what you're focusing on. 
That, that's what you're living into. Where's the brokenness that I can see in my one square mile of concrete? What is God giving me eyes to see his work in my one square mile of concrete? We start there and it builds out. For Mother Teresa, she started with the nearest one and it became 42,000 nearest ones. I just wanna take a minute. We do sail every week and this feels like a good place for a pause, a good place for a breath. Um, and I just want to leave a little bit of space for the Holy Spirit to speak to us in this. This is a really uh, personal and practical place of application for us. And I believe that the Holy Spirit will speak to all of us something um, from our last couple of weeks of work and understanding a bigger story. Um, I had three things that I thought maybe for someone, I don't know. Uh, one is, um, do you know that you were made on purpose for purpose? that you were not an accident, not at all. Uh, The second thing is, um, where do you need to get your hands in the dirt? Maybe literally (laughs) in the actual earth. Um, This is interesting to me. Often God uses our work of renewal in the world to renew us. Where do you need to get your hands in the dirt in the name of renewal? Maybe not just for the world, but also in your own self. Uh, And then here's the third thing. God is always on the move. He is always on the move. And so I just wonder, what is he calling out in you? Where is he moving in your life, in your square mile of concrete? Uh, Here's the fun thing about being a charismatic. Uh, We believe that if we ask, God will give us eyes to see what he's up to all around us. So let's just ask. Let's pray. Father, I ask that in these um, quiet minutes that you would uh, do in us the work of creation, the fall, redemption, and renewal. I pray that for those of us who feel alone or feel like a mistake, that that your spirit would remind us that we were not an accident, that we were created on purpose, and not just on purpose, but for purpose for a reason, to do something that we are the only ones in the world that can do that you picked us to join you in. I pray that this commission, this invitation, that it wouldn't feel like something you lord over us and force us into, but that it would feel like we got invited to the party, that we got invited to the great work of renewal, that out of everyone, you picked us to do this thing. And so I just pray that through your spirit, you would give us eyes to see the thing. Will you give us eyes to see your work, things, not just thing, things. Will you give us eyes to see your work um, and what you're up to all around us in the places we are. Um, and then I pray that you would give us the wisdom and the kindness and the courage to lean in the wisdom uh, to know how, the kindness to engage with others in your work of renewal and the courage just to take a step of faith, to do something that might feel incredibly natural or do something that might feel incredibly terrifying. Will you give us the courage to trust that you go with us, that we do this because we are invited by you. Not because we have to, but because it's joy and freedom and hope and renewal. In your name we pray. Amen.